Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, as the leftists who dominate our education system know, the future of Western liberalism will not rely on us retaining the culture that made our current freedom and prosperity possible, a culture that is based on many centuries of intellectually liberating philosophical thought that was, until recently, still evolving. Rather, the future is about shaping an entirely new society based on revolutionary ideas that were planted by academics in universities in the 1960s, eventually migrated to high schools and have now spread into primary schools to indoctrinate the malleable minds of our society's youngest people. The first generation to have spent their entire education in this system from year one all the way through to graduation two decades later with a PhD examining the immutable evil of white privilege, are now assuming positions of power and authority. And aren't we lucky to be around to witness it? There is barely a politician, bureaucrat or corporate executive anywhere in Australia now who doesn't feel compelled to signal their allegiance to these fashionable but largely unproven utopian ideals. Indeed, many of them are paid handsomely to do so, safe in the knowledge that, when, that they will be sipping cocktails inside their fortified homes when the consequences of this folly materialise in the shape of entire communities reduced to hostile, impoverished tribes roaming the streets looking for places to loot and people to kill. That's not an exaggeration. We've seen it already in the Black Lives Matter riots in the United States in 2020, in which dozens of people were killed and billions of dollars worth of property was destroyed. The grievances that propelled those riots were endorsed here by none other than the Victorian government which gave a green light to protesters culturally appropriating American ghettos and whinging about the fact that apologising for past transgressions will never be enough. After those marches were over, the Victorian government returned to its normal business of arresting people for making Facebook posts and shooting others in the back with rubber bullets for the audacity of wanting their God-given freedoms back. Since those COVID lockdowns ended, the defining characteristic of Australian politicians has been timidity. It was on full display this month when British women's rights campaigner Kelly J. Keane did a public speaking tour of, Australia, of several Australian capital cities. Apart from Victorian State Liberal, Moira, Liberal MP Moira Deeming, UAP Victorian Senator Ralph Babbitt, and Pauline Hanson and Malcolm Roberts of One Nation, no MPs offered keen support for her defence of women to have private spaces away from invariably aggressive, angry men dressed as women. Supporting such a basic concept should have been the least we could expect from our elected representatives. But instead, we were treated to politicians being outright hostile towards Keane. This is what passes for courage in Australian politics these days. Here is the charming Greens Senator, Nick McKim, graciously explaining to Kelly J Keane, otherwise known as Posey Parker, what he thinks of her. And we need to call Posey 
and Kimberley and their ilk what they actually are, and that is trans-exclusionary right-wing dropkicks. T-E-R-D-S. They're not turfs, they are turds, and that's how we should describe them. This type of divisiveness doesn't emerge from nowhere. Humans are, tri humans are tribal by nature, but not to the point where an elected representative standing in a building designed to be a forum for debate feels free to spew such bile towards a woman who dares to hold an opinion contrary to his own. How did we become so divided? Well, this innocent looking video promoting an extracurricular multicultural debate contest for New South Wales school kids might answer that question. These kids are at the very beginning of speaking truth to power. Peace and stability throughout the world, no matter their race or religion. So, no matter who you are or where you come from, welcome. It's about learning to take your ideas and explain them to people. And at the same time being quite young, you've got that added element of learning to be brave enough to stand up and point out problems you might see. Because of these words, she suffered anxiety issues. It's up to us to be aware of this form of racism and stop it. Sharing our culture and stories is how we appreciate each other. Even in the horror of war, connection across barriers is possible. They're learning about multiculturalism. They're trying to engage with their own stories and the stories of their friends and thinking about something that maybe they don't always think about. It teaches students to be aware of issues relating to how we live and how we get on and how we need to cooperate. And these kids are the ones that are going to be making decisions for us in the future. They sure are going to be the ones making decisions for us. It might seem empowering to tell kids that they can speak truth to power, but whose truth and which power? The most powerful force in our culture these days is woke, which dominates every institution, parliament, corporation and school. There is nothing bold about saying racism is evil. It has been an established part of Western civilization since the Enlightenment but it doesn't necessarily follow that multiculturalism is the answer. In fact, multiculturalism is destined to fail, partly because it's an oxymoron. Any culture that is made up of multiple cultures is destined to die. Without shared values, beliefs and institutions, neighbours will eventually become estranged and hostile to each other. It's human nature. This is, of course, not an endorsement of racism. Multi-ethnicity is perfectly plausible, but only if they coalesce around a common culture. Good luck to any kid speaking in that debating competition that truth to the powers of the New South Wales Education Department. Now let's bring in a parent who is concerned about this and many other aspects of woke culture, former Liberal federal candidate, Catherine Deves. Catherine, welcome. Good evening, Fred. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Well, let's start with this debating contest in New South Wales. It's interesting that it's called debating when it looks terribly <laughs> like an exercise in intellectual conformity to me. What do you think? 
Oh, look, th- this debate program, I withheld consent for my daughters to participate. I saw the subjects that they were going to be pushing this year, which uh, very much rang alarm bells for me. Uh, they were subjects such as uh, you know, privilege, gender, I, I think it said identity, it's complicated, advanced Australia fair, question mark, casual racism, etc. And it just looked like a festival of critical race theory and gender identity and white privilege. And I don't want my children to be exposed to those sorts of ideologies. Is there anything positive about Australia in this debating contest? Well, I looked at some of the subjects and one of my friends said this could be a teaching moment. Perhaps get your girls to write uh, a debate where they're debating from, you know, the non-woke point of view. But I don't want, you know, the children to be shunned or marked down or shamed uh, for what they say. They're still uh, quite little. And no, I, I mean... I wouldn't think that it's a debate. The way that the subjects were framed was it was very much pushing uh, the the woke ideologies, and I think it would be a brave student, or it would. I mean, the way that they're indoctrinated into these ideas now, uh, it would be a very unusual student that would push back on the narratives that they're trying to um, inculcate in the kids. I would say. Well, you've just come through a very grueling uh, election campaign recently. Um, so you would have your finger on the pulse of Australian culture in some ways. What's the attitude these days, in your opinion, towards multiculturalism? I, I don't think it's as positively um, perceived these days as our woke overlords would think it is. Well, I think this relentless focus on, on race and for anyone who is not of colour, uh, if you're, you know, a white Australian, you know, you've got a colonial background, uh, you are made to feel ashamed for the sins of the fathers. Um, and I think it, it it really sort of pushes this, this narrative that's very binary, that's very black and white. There's no nuance. There's no shades of grey. I mean, for example, you know, my history it comes from the first and second fleets. Those people came out here, in my view, as slaves. The females are sex slaves. They were in chains. They were starving. They were beaten, etc. They weren't coming here to eat cucumber sandwiches and wear lace petticoats and have a lovely time. Um, so I just think that this this very dictatorial binary narrative is not serving anyone because we exist in, in the grey spaces. It's not, you know, good versus evil. And that sort of seems to be what's being pushed at the moment. Is there any push at all or any appreciation these days that, that the culture that the, that the British brought to this continent was at the time probably the most, the, the, the most superior culture in the world at that time? Is there any, any perception of that in, you know, in, that you've encountered while you were campaigning or from the schools that your kids attend? I think this shows how impoverished the educational curriculum is now that, you know, when you explain to people that half the world's population do not live under the rule of law. I mean, I think we're asleep at the wheel here in Australia. We are not uh, taught to understand how fortunate we are, how unusual it is to be living in such a peaceful, prosperous nation where we don't have war, uh, where by and large, you know, violence, uh, it, it's not on the streets, it's not, you know, 
we're not living in in towns where there's earthquakes where everything's collapsed and and there's no resources to come and fix it but when we look at the system that we live under representative democracy based on a westminster system i mean that has provided humankind with the most stable and prosperous and fair system of governance that i would argue humankind has has ever seen i mean with access to justice uh, whether, you know, the fact that we can go to the police, we can uh, go through the court system. We, I mean, it's not perfect. We all understand that. But as an ordinary person, you have the right to make a complaint to the police. You have the right to put up your hand uh, to run for parliament. And these are really things that we should be celebrating. And uh, instead of being told that this is wrong and it's colonial and it's white privilege, it's like, well, what other system do you want to have in place? Do we want to have a, a fascist dictator? Do we want to have a failed nation state like in Venezuela or say South Sudan? Um, I think that we have really lost the plot when we think that Australia uh, is, a, is a problematic country. The way this debating contest is dressed up, it, it makes it look like the teachers are simply encouraging the kids to refine what they've been born into, which is a, a Western liberal democracy. But I'd argue that, in fact, the ultimate goal of all this wokeism is the complete replacement of the system and institutions that we, we have inherited, and it's the, the consequences of which will be an absolute nightmare. Now, do you think, do, do you think that, that what these kids are being indoctrinated into is a complete uh, uh, replacement of our system or are they being encouraged just to refine what they've inherited? Oh, no. Uh, there are forces at play that, in my view, want to completely upend society as we understand it. Uh, you know, the Marxist socialists marching through the institutions, which they've been doing very effectively uh, for decades. There are attacks on parental authority, uh, attacks on the family, uh, attacks on heterosexual couples, attacks on, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a lapsed Catholic myself, but uh, attacks on things like the, the church, the Judeo-Christian culture. Uh, there are attacks on our judiciary. Um, and I want to say, to what end? I mean, with respect to, say, the gender identity argument, who benefits when we teach children to be divorced from the material reality of their bodies, when we are constantly breaking down the age of consent, when we are allowing the state to come in and make it unlawful into families and make it unlawful for parents to protect their children, for parents to instill the values that they want to instill, when we are constantly teaching our children that they are under threat from you know, extinction. We've got extinction rebellion. We've got everything's going to become extinct. We've got uh, the climate ideology. We're all going to, you know, either be washed away or burn up in bushfires. So you've got these kids who are in a constant state of anxiety. For what reason? Um, mm. You know. So I'm like, who, what purpose is this serving? And you know, it also goes to the question of like, we've had the pandemic. Uh, now we're having this push for renewables. And in my view, both of those uh, uh, events are basically just a huge transference of wealth from the middle class 
uh, to the elite. So I think, and then if we go to the voice, for example, we are looking at upending our entire system of governance with respect to that, and we're just being told, be kind, be inclusive, don't be racist, but to put a body in that is not beholden to the executive or the legislatures and we'll probably will end up uh, governing ourselves by fighting things out in the ju- judiciary. I mean, that's unprecedented. That is not modest and that is not kind. That is a complete reordering of how we organise ourselves uh, here in Australia. So I very much think there are people here who, who want to upend everything that we've worked so hard for uh, over centuries now here yeah. here in Australia yeah. to for, to have a functional a functional um, representative democracy. Well, I think a lot of the viewers um, are aware of the concerns you raise, but to most of them, they are still, fortunately, just abstract, you know, um, phenomena. Unlike with you, because you were very close to Kelly J Keane during her tour of Australia and New Zealand this month. Now, it was alarming in many ways to see how hostile trans men are towards women. What was it like to be amongst all that? Well, uh, I would say it's anti-women trans activists, and that includes the men who want to pretend to be women. Uh, It includes a lot of young women uh, as well who are very much the sort of handmaids (laughs) uh, to that particular movement and are very willing to to police uh, other women's uh, behaviour. So... The way that Kelly J was treated, the way that certain sections of the media treated her, the violence and the threat on the ground uh, at some of those rallies, the fact that police protection and private security was required for Kelly J uh, and the speakers and more broadly the, the women's group, strikes me that those who want, who are against what Kelly is saying, it is the most undemocratic, illiberal, fascistic movement that, that I've ever seen. They want to silence, they want to use violence, and then uh, when when that didn't work, you know, they sent in the Nazis to try and uh, discredit and disparage when the women, and I was there on the day, had nothing to do with them. Um, however, we've now been accused of being aligned with them, and they have tried to smear her, as we saw that uh, Greens parliamentarian from Tasmania, the, using his parliamentary privilege to conduct what is just a vitriolic, disgusting, abusive attack on a woman. Um, and with respect to that parliamentarian, I mean, his partner uh, has a, a daughter that she's transitioned to be a, a trans man. So I think particularly for those sorts of parents, I mean, they're going to be the last ones standing because they are going to have to admit uh, at some point when this, when these children start presenting with all sorts of problems later in life, health problems, infertility, osteoporosis, etc., they are going to have to accept the fact that they cheered that on. So with Kelly J. Keane actually getting up and speaking that, speaking to facts, uh, simply giving a platform to biological women and the the rage that that engenders uh, in the anti-women trans activists, it just demonstrates that there's a real festering illiberalism and streak of misogyny that we should all be very afraid of, to be honest. Well, it's um, emblematic. It's terrifying that... Yeah, it's, it, it's emblematic of the tribal warfare that we are heading towards, in my opinion, which I said in my introduction. You know, humans are tribal. It's, it's part of our nature. And what we are witnessing now, after several decades of our leaders fragmenting our culture and encouraging division, we're now seeing that manifest itself 
in what you saw. Now, the, my point was that, you know, you were amongst it. Kelly J, Kelly J felt uh, her life was in danger. But I think, you know, ordinary Australians are going to have to get used to it because this is where we're heading. Now, the one thing that we should have been able to fall back on is the good the goodwill and the common sense of our politicians. They were nowhere to be seen. I'd like to know, I mean, you know, without you breaking any confidences, if there are any at all, have any politicians actually approached people like you and Kelly J behind the scenes and said, oh, you know, we, we support what you're doing, but we can't say so? Well, yes, yes, there are absolutely politicians across the board or political parties who behind closed doors agree with what uh, I say, with what Kelly J says, they agree with more redeeming, etc. but they are too afraid. They are too afraid of, of losing their jobs. They're too afraid of the mob. Um, and then, of course, we get the politicians who are the true believers and, uh, you know, go with the with the transactive zeitgeist because it's politically expedient. And as we saw, there were some male politicians who were actually really enjoying uh, going after us women and denouncing us. I could say, I just pitched them 500 years ago with the pitchforks poking at the witches. Uh, we all know who those politicians are, but there's a real fear Um to, to do with the mob. And I, I suppose, you know, when you saw what happened to me in the election campaign with what happened to Moira Deeming, I mean, they very much make examples of us and they throw everything they can at us to make us, uh, you know, silence us and, and make us go away. But I would like to say to anyone who's trying to gather the courage maybe to speak in their public life, I, I am still standing. And, you know, I have more supporters uh, than ever. Um, I still have a platform. I'm working as a practicing lawyer. They tried to do their worst, um, but we're still here. So well, never, not going to give up. <laughs> never give up and never apologize. Catherine Deves, more strength to you and thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much, Fred, and good evening to all your viewers. Thank you. That's Catherine Deves, a former Liberal candidate for the federal seat of Warringah and one of the leading defenders of women's rights in Australia. Who thought we needed those in 2023? Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at, at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, -E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. And you can catch all the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup, including Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton, and of course the great Alan Jones by going to adh.tv or downloading our app or find us wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at 7pm. Good night.